This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be gathering around the virtual water cooler to talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. BJ, unfortunately, I have to start this off on a bit of a downer note, which is uh, I wanted to mention that Andre Brower passed away mm-hmm. last night. Um, he was 61 years old. This is the star, uh, multi Emmy-winning star of shows like Homicide, Life on the Street, Men of a Certain Age, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Just real, real sad stuff. Um, Evidently, he had a short illness, and then, yeah, we we lost him last night. Um, Do do you have much of a a relationship to Andre Brower's work, BJ? Was he like a big figure in your viewing life? He was, and it was very strange once the announcement happened. I think because Brooklyn Nine-Nine is such a recent thing for a lot of us, it was like, oh, I love him on that. And then you really sit there and think, and it's like, he's been in so many things over so many years. Like, I first saw him when he was in Glory. Like, can you imagine Glory being your future film debut where you're with Denzel Washington? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, wild. And, you know, I watched that in high school. So it's like most of my you know, viewing life that I can really tangibly remember. He's been a part of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the outpouring on social media from people who've worked with him or people who know him in real life, like it was just universal. Everyone was saying how wonderful he is as a person. And I think I think we all knew that as fans because 
you can just kind of tell when someone's on screen whether or not there's a sincerity to them as a person. And I think that's probably what gravitated so many of us towards his work because you could, it's palpable. You could feel that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a a huge loss. I mean, 61 is obviously way too young and he had decades of, of other amazing performances, I'm sure uh, in, in store. Um, But yeah, if you've not seen Brooklyn nine, nine, I was late to that show um, cause I kind of thought I knew what it was going to be and it was kind of like, ah, I don't really know if I need another one of these type of shows in my life. Um, it's just a, a shot of pure joy and his character, Raymond Holt is like, I think I've seen a lot of people saying like, he's one of the best sitcom characters of all time, which may sound oh, hyperbolic, yeah. but I don't think it is. So, um, yeah, just great stuff there. And, uh, and as BJ said, I mean, he's been in so many things he's in. The Mist and uh, even like going back to, you know, Striking Distance with Bruce Willis and mm-hmm. Salt with Angelina Jolie. I mean, it, like his career is, was all over the place. He, he was in so many different things over the years and he always made whatever scene he was in better. So, um, yeah, rest in peace to Andre Brower. So, uh, OK, BJ, let's get into what we've been doing and all that stuff. What have you been doing recently? So I have been starting to document my ridiculous rideshare experiences. Um, I have a very severe astigmatism and it makes driving in Los Angeles at night extremely dangerous because every car, everyone has a new car. So everyone has those horrible LED headlights that just seem like someone's flashing their brights in your face. So I can't see anything. So Mm -hmm. I rideshare a lot. And for the most part, there's a lot of, you know, very normal rideshare experiences where no one talks to me and I like it. A whole lot. Um, but then I have really ridiculous rideshare experiences. Like the other day, um, someone was driving a self-driving car. Um, so that was a little terrifying when you're sitting there and you're like, oh, he's he's not controlling the wheel. It's just turning and he just is sitting here. Okay, great. Now I get to wonder if I'm going to die. Um, or the other night I went to a press screening for something that I can't talk about just yet, but my rideshare driver um, was convinced that I was her guardian angel. And, you know, now I'm just trapped in a car for a half hour with somebody who thinks I'm an angel um, and is asking me about a boyfriend that I do not have because I am very much gay married. Um, and I just had to make up stories the entire time. And the, the best part is, um, this, this fake relationship I have, uh, was with one of our slash film writers, uh, Mr. Bill Bria, who joined me on this, uh, on this press screening. And she's, he was being a nice person and like waiting for me to get my ride share. So, you know, he's not leaving me on the street somewhere to like get kidnapped or whatever. She's like, Oh yeah, I saw you with your boyfriend. I was like, Hmm. That oh, where is this going? <laughs> and then she just starts asking all these questions about our life. And I was like, well, I don't know if you know this, Bill, but you now work at a museum. I'm also a programmer at a theater that doesn't exist um, and just started making things up because I didn't know where this was going to go. I didn't know what this woman was going to do. Well, yeah, that certainly does sound ridiculous, PJ. The the uh, self-driving car thing, I, I've never actually been in one of those. Was that your first time being in one? It was my first time and I did not like it. I was very scared about it the entire time. Um, I don't like robots making decisions for me like this. Um, did, the, I, did the driver did seem like engaged at all? Like, was he, you know, if a scenario came up where, I don't know, the vehicle made a wrong turn or was about to crash into a 
hole or something like that. Did he seem like he was clocking everything that was going on and he could have like stepped in and grabbed the wheel and done something? Or was he kind of checked out because it was a self-driving experience? It depended on what part of the city we were in, because at first I didn't realize it was a self-driving car because when I got in, you know, he seemed very engaged. He was like, okay, cool. We're going to do these things. And then we got to a part of the road where there was a lot of traffic. So it was a lot of stop start. And then I realized, oh, he's not he's not controlling the wheel and it's definitely making turns and he's not touching the wheel. Okay. Um, But then every once in a while, you know, somebody would slam on their brakes and like the the car was pretty good about it. I will say that it, (laughs) it, the reflexes of the car were good. Um, But it felt a lot like when people are are driving with cruise control on the highway. Mm. So he could have, but there were a couple of moments where I kept like looking my head forward to be like, are is he awake? (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh wow! Recording all of these for TikTok and writing down, you know, some of the ones that I could remember, and I was like, maybe one of these days I'll just like pitch a comedy book on this of just the weird people that I can <laughs> write there. Awesome. Okay, so you've been reading a bunch of stuff too. Yeah. So um, I recently, um, like the the review for the Iron Claw came out. And so I've been really diving back into that world. So I started reading Death of the Territories, Expansion, Betrayal, and the War That Changed Pro Wrestling Forever by Tim Hornbaker. So if you're not super well-versed in wrestling, most people know wrestling as like WWE. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the only reason that WWE or, you know, at the time WWF um, exists is because the McMahon family just bought up territories. So wrestling used to be very territorial. You would have like different, you know, uh, like leagues or something. Yeah. So you had different promotions um, in different parts of the country. So like the iron claw, for example, like that was like the Texas, like that's, that was their big thing. And so then, you know, the McMahon family eventually just bought all the territories and kind of like turned it into like a super group. Like that's the best way to describe it. So this book is kind of looking at wrestling in the seventies and even beforehand and how they all sort of existed independently, how they would create, you know, these, these big threats. And then they would bounce between territories because it works very similarly to the way that most sports do. Like you had different regions and sometimes those regions would only meet up during like the biggest events of the year and you know how did they determine who was going to be the world heavyweight champion um Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating and then also just looking at like the evils of capitalism of the mcmahon family killing the territories and you know kind of taking control of you know what the general public understands as the world of professional wrestling. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm about halfway through it. It's fascinating stuff. A lot of it is stuff that I already know, but getting to get that in depth, I think has been um, really, really important. And, you know, it's just that very nerdy part of my brain. (laughs) Well, let's use that as an opportunity to talk a little bit about the Iron Claw. As you mentioned, you wrote a review for Slash Film that's up on the website right now. I will link Mm -hmm. to that in the show notes. I had a chance to watch this movie as well. Um, This is the movie about the Von Erich family. It stars... Uh, who does it star? It, it, a bunch of people. Zac Efron, movie. Jeremy Ellen White, Harris Dickinson, Stanley Simons, Holt McCallany, and Mara Tierney, and Lily James. Yeah, that yes. that's that pretty much does it. Um, <laughs> so I know you're like obviously big into the world of wrestling, BJ. Uh, what did you think about this movie? I love this movie. Um, and I will say that I love this movie for what this movie is, and I don't uh complain 
about what this movie isn't because there has been a lot of complaints already about how the movie, you know, does it's not I think the biggest mistake this movie has is that it was pitched as a biopic because it's not a biopic. Um this is a folklore. This is um you know when when the when the legend becomes the truth you print the legend uh that is very much what we're dealing with here but i love this movie um i especially love it because there has been so much tragedy in the world of professional wrestling i mean dark side of the ring is a phenomenal documentary series that you can watch on vice i think they have a partnership with hulu so i think it's on hulu right now but there's been enough horrific tragedies in wrestling to constitute its own like documentary true crime series mm-hmm. and the von eric family i think in recent years um and not dark Ring, they've always been very respectful but i think people hear about the von eric story and it is so horrible like it's so tragic and so sad that it becomes this like exploitation factory or this tabloid fodder where people talk about what happened to them but seldom talk about who this family was, what they represented in the world of wrestling, how they were these cultural figures that were larger than life. Like the Von Erichs had comic books written about them. Like people don't realize how big they were and yet they experienced something terrible. And so to see the Iron Claw, a movie that wants the audience to see them as people and wants to highlight the love they had for each other as brothers and as a family and you know how difficult it has been for Kevin Von Erich who you know is Zac Efron's character to live this life I think is really touching and beautiful I think this movie also shoots wrestling uh better than I've ever seen in a Hollywood picture because (laughs) it genuinely knows what a what it feels like to be that invested in wrestling um sean durkin is a wrestling fan and it shows (laughs) um in this um but it's it's sad it's it's a very sad story there is a glaring omission which it's not a spoiler because it's already been you know well documented that chris von eric who is another von eric brother who also died under horrible circumstances um he's not a figure in the movie and i go back and forth about how i feel about it um but i also recognize that if you're a wrestling fan it's part of the story if you're not a wrestling fan it might just be too much tragedy for Mm. a general audience to process yeah um yeah Yeah, that's kind of how i came down on it a little bit was was because i didn't know anything about the story i didn't even know that there were tragic elements because i I don't follow wrestling and had never really heard about this family at all and the trailer kind of indicates that maybe there's going to be you know something going on like don't fear the reaper is is um uh highlighted in the trailer as a song uh and even in like the first i mean i I feel comfortable saying that this movie is about tragic stuff because in the first few minutes of the film they start talking about the von eric family curse and um you know you don't start talking about something like that uh unless you're you're going to return to it (laughs) later in the movie um it's like a, a chekhov's gun type of situation there but um but yeah i mean i i thought it was like incredibly well-made Sean Durkin is the name you mentioned he's the writer and and director of this he is the director of uh movies like Martha Marcy May Marlene and The Nest and you know he's been like sort of a figure in the indie world for a while and he's made like very um serious kind of adult dramas that have been like again very well made and like of extremely high quality and I feel like this movie is also in that same boat but it, it just feels so much more um 
I don't know. Accessible is not the right word because uh, because this movie gets into some really, really like heavily tragic stuff near the end. But um, but like maybe just bigger and broader than a lot of the the stuff that he's done before. Um, but uh, so yeah, it, it's interesting to sort of think about it, you know, as a a data point in his filmography. But like the and th- so much of this movie is like worth recommending like the performances are all great i thought zach efron was great jeremy allen white is really good uh holt McCallany is like tremendous as this real piece of shit father figure who is like a clear villain um and treats his his children like just pawns in order to uh you know gain a trophy that he never won himself and he's he's very clearly like living vicariously through his kids and like basically forcing them in you know to conform to uh, a way of life that some of them don't want to conform to, but he, you know, rules with a, an iron fist, so to speak. So, um, you know, th- there's a lot of dynamics and a lot of aspects of this movie that I really like, but it, it is so uh, bleak that I, I just kind of found myself distanced from it, you know, as the final credits rolled. I was just like, man, I don't know if like, you know, it, it's tough to, it's tough to love a movie like that um, when you're coming into that, uh, the subject matter cold and just being pummeled with <laughs> with this tragedy for oh, a long yeah. time. It's because it's not a snowball of tragedy. It's an avalanche. And um I was very fortunate to be able to interview Sean Durkin as well as Holt McCallany and Stanley Simons. And in talking with Sean especially, we both discussed like if you pitched this story and it was not based on real events every studio in the city would laugh you out of the room. They would be like, that's impossible. That's way too much. That would never happen. That's not believable. But it really happened. And it's worse. <laughs> like, yeah. it's the real worse. story is worse than what it, what appears in this yeah, movie. Yeah, the yeah. real story is worse. And I mean, th- because this is not part of the film, it's not a spoiler, but Chris Von Eric, because, you know, this is a story about, you know, wrestlers. He was only five foot five, which is not, tall in especially in the 70s for wrestling that was like unheard of he also had severe asthma which meant he had to take medication which then gave him brittle bone disease and you can't be a professional wrestler this way it's dangerous for you Mm -hmm. so i like as much as it kills me that he's not here because i feel like he needs to be in that movie his situation is so like cartoonishly sad that you would need to have the movie be about him in once that happens because it's so just unbelievably sad where it's like Fritz made him wrestle after tragedy because he was running out of sons and it's yeah. like this is so messed up um so like Sean Durkin has also done other interviews he did a Q&A at a screening, I think at the Alamo Draft House, where he talked about how it took him almost over a year to figure out what he was going to do with that situation and ultimately, you know, decided to write Chris out of it. And instead, the brother Mike has some characteristics of it. So mm. if you are looking at this movie for a biopic, you're not going to get that. Just watch Dark Side of the Ring, The Last of the Von Erics. It's a season one episode. It's beautiful it's heartbreaking it's wonderful but if you are looking for a movie that is going to just emotionally eviscerate you um this is this is the treat 
Yes, so it's called the Iron Claw. I believe it it comes out in theaters on December twenty second. I, I think is the release date. So very soon. Um, and yeah, put it on your radar. It, I mean, it's it's like I said, like a uh, gorgeously shot in, in certain moments and has great performances across the board. Um, but yeah, it's it's a bit of a bleak watch. So just prepare yourself going in <laughs> if you don't know anything about that story. Um, what else have you been watching, PJ? Alrighty, so the first thing I wanted to talk about is a sci-fi movie that kind of went under the radar this year called Aporia. Um, It stars Judy Greer. She's kind of like the big uh, focus in this. But it is about her. um, Her husband is, you know, he's a scientist or like an engineer. And he is killed in a drunk driving accident. And, you know, we see her like eight months after this event. She's obviously devastated. Her her child is devastated and is lashing out. And she's like, I would give anything to bring him back. And she discovers that her husband and his like best friend and his like scientific partner, they have been working on something that isn't a time machine. But what it can do is it can target somebody in the past and kill them like it can kill them (laughs) in the past Hmm. Uh, not like a looper situation where you send a person just like you put in coordinates and that person dies oh wow and so she you know does that brings her husband back and it starts kind of this snowball effect of okay well now that he's not dead here are all the other things that have changed in our world because you know, we killed the drunk driver who killed him. And then it becomes this sort of like psychological morality puzzle of, well, who else could we take out? Like, can we make the world better? And how will that affect the world around us? Because once they make this change, if you're not in the room with the machine to know that it happened, you're like, you have no memory of, you know, the, the life that happened. So it's not like, they're saving people's lives and then randomly everyone's like, I thought you were dead. Like that doesn't happen. Yeah. Like the rest of the world is pretty much unchanged. Um, but it's a really phenomenal uh, kind of like thought concept of, you know, if you could go back and, you know, everyone's hypotheticals are like, what if you could kill Hitler? Or like if you could go back and do these hypotheticals, is the butterfly effect going to be worth it? Um, and if you could do it in your own life, is the butterfly effect going to be worth it? So it's, really interesting i really liked it it's on hulu right now um and it's really intimate it's a it's a lower budget sci-fi film that you know really is carried on the performances and kind of this this moral conundrum huh i had never heard of this in my life but it sounds fascinating and i'm adding it to my watch list right now so it's called aporia a-p-o-r-i-a and it's on hulu right now that's awesome great recommendation bj yeah um uh let's see what else have you been watching so i watched uh, a rewatch for me um little women 1994 um rewatched this one for my teen girl movie podcast this ends at prom because it's you know it's about to be the holidays and it's been a while and little women is such like a christmasy movie mm-hmm. and like you know on the surface that this has one of the best casts of any movie um, because it does. And then you sit there and you watch it and it's like, you've got Kirsten Dunst, you've got Winona Ryder, you've got like Claire Danes in her very first uh, movie role after my so-called life. You've Susan Sarandon, you have Gabriel Byrne, you have Trini Alvarado. I was like, 
this movie is so, Christian Bale, like baby mm-hmm. Christian Bale in this and baby Samantha Mathis. And it's like, wow, every single person in here is a superstar. Um, <laughs> and it still holds up. It's still great. I think I still prefer Greta Gerwig's take on Little Women, but it was like a warm hug revisiting this movie for the first time in, I don't know, probably the better part of 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, just God, it's such a great movie. It's so perfect. And I ended up reading these like oral histories about Little Women and how no one in Hollywood wanted to make it. No one had any like faith in it at all whatsoever. And then like, I, I guess like a, a team of like 15 men watched like a, an assembly cut and they were all crying at the end of it. And they were like, <laughs> we're going to give you more money for reshoots and for, for post-production because this is great. And then it went on to be nominated for three Academy Awards. So, you know, what? Awesome. Little women rules. <laughs> it does. It's such a great, I feel like, I think I've seen every iteration of it. Um, like right around the time that Gerwig's movie came out, I, I think I've watched, you know, the very old school Hollywood versions and oh, the then Catherine leading Hepburn. up. Yeah, all of that. And I, I think Little Woman is like, you can't go wrong with a, an adaptation of it. I mean, I haven't seen a bad one yet. So yeah, um, yeah good stuff. I, I'm uh, The Gerwig version has made it into my wife and I's yearly uh, Christmas rotation. So we haven't gotten to that yet in December, but um, I look forward to to watching that one always. It's such a, yeah, just a great experience. So uh, Little Women, 1994. Do you know if this one's streaming anywhere? Little Women 1984 is currently streaming for free with commercials, obviously, on Pluto TV. Okay, awesome. Good stuff. Uh, What else have you been watching, PJ? And so the last thing that I watched is a, a comedy from 2014 called Hits. It's directed by David Cross. Um, you might need to use the year and David Cross to find it because Google is not going to help you if you try to type like Hits movie 2014. You're <laughs> yeah. just going to get end of year lists. Um, but it is a comedy starring um, Meredith Hagner and Matt Walsh, not that Matt Walsh, but like beloved character actor matt walsh um it is so unbelievably funny it's about a a girl in a small town who really really wants to be famous and she wants to like audition on the voice but she can't actually sing she's actually quite bad at singing um meanwhile her dad is uh one of those guys that goes to public access or goes to like you know uh city council meetings and you know complains and then the footage gets uploaded on like public access channels and one day he just kind of goes nuts <laughs> in the middle of a city council meeting and the footage of him at this meeting uh goes viral and then suddenly everyone is like obsessed with this like every man fighting for the cause and they all want to support him so it's about her like having this jealousy of her dad's newfound like 15 minutes of fame that he does not want um and her also trying to like figure out how she can angle this to you know be her ticket to the top um it is such a fin like fantastic examination of like the small town life of trying to get out and also like the weird people that exist, you know, in the, in the parts of America that we ignore and we Mm -hmm. pretend like are not real communities, but like those are the communities I'm from and I care deeply about. And it is just deeply, deeply funny and also really screwed up. It has an incredible ending that I will not spoil that. Like once it hits, you're like, this movie just went from good to great. (laughs) 
So had you ever seen this before? I've seen this a few times. Um, It's a movie that is not available on streaming very often. You tend to have to rent it. So I don't watch it nearly as much as I would like. But I really like Meredith Hagner a lot. Um, She's becoming one of those comedic actresses that I actively look forward to seeing in things. And I keep getting the little ad on Hulu that's like, you should watch Vacation Friends too, which I have watched it. Hulu, I you know I like this movie. (laughs) Um, So I've just been kind of going through and watching a lot of stuff that she's in just because she makes me happy. And you know what? I I need the serotonin boost. So (laughs) I went back and watched it again. And I was like, no, this movie holds up. Honestly, I think it's better now than it was in 2014. I think it's more relevant, you know, nearly a decade later. Well, excellent. Okay, so that's called Hits from 2014. Uh, It looks like you can rent it for, yeah, like four bucks on Apple or Amazon or YouTube or whatever if you want to check that out right now. Uh, Let's take a break and then we'll come back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Okay, let's talk a little bit about what I've been watching, BJ. Um, I had a chance to see Maestro. Have you seen this yet? I have seen Maestro. Okay, so this is the Bradley Cooper movie. Um, He's playing Leonard Bernstein, the composer. And uh, I mean, him and Carrie Mulgan are going for it, like capital G going for it in this movie. Um, Their performances are really, really kind of out of this world. And I I don't know how I feel about the movie overall, but like they are great. I think the makeup is especially incredible. It is very tough to make a younger or middle-aged person look convincing as an elderly person. But I thought they achieved that really, really well here. What did you think about like the the makeup and the look and all that. Oh, I'm right there with you on this where I was not as jazzed on this movie as most people were, but the performances are undeniably fantastic. And I, I do have a little bit of like the mixed feelings about the makeup of, you know, when we add, you know, traditionally ethnic features to people with Eurocentric beauty standards, there's a little bit of like, eh, that mm-hmm. I that I get. But at least it's done in a way that does not feel cartoonish. It does not feel disrespectful. It feels authentic. He looks like Leonard Bernstein. Like, yeah. it's, it's kind of uncanny um, how well they pulled it off. But yeah, the old age makeup in this is really, really something. Yeah, I think the movie looks beautiful as well. Um, the whole thing, I mean... It, the thing I appreciate about this movie the most was that it felt like a person made it, which is not a yeah. given, you know, when it comes to like music biopics, especially, they just feel there are so many bad ones out there. And this one feels like there were actual artistic decisions that were made here. And I didn't agree with all of them, but you can you can really feel the passion coming through the screen from Bradley Cooper, um, maybe to a degree that will put some people off. Like, you know, there's that sort of... Uh, I guess it's more of a meta conversation about him as a performer where he kind of like just feel there's like a little bit of desperation around him where he feels like he really, really wants an Oscar and wants to be taken seriously or whatever. Um, So like maybe some people will be rubbed the wrong way a little bit by like the fact that he is really going for it in in the lead role in this movie. But uh, I, I think 
there are enough good things about this movie to recommend it. Like there's a Thanksgiving argument that um, Cooper's character has with uh, Mulligan's character. That is like one of the best scenes I saw this year. Um, (laughs) So that, that was terrific. Um, I think personally, BJ, I was kind of hoping for more of a peek behind the curtain of the actual creative process, because the idea of how a composer manages to come up with these grand pieces of music is really fascinating to me. And this movie is not really about that. It's much more just about the marriage and the dynamic and the fact that, you know, uh, Cooper's character is just constantly like cheating on his wife and and uh, living as a gay man in a time when that was not nearly as as socially acceptable as it was now or as, as it is now. But like th- that slowly begins to like chip away at and kind of destroy his marriage. And that's kind of like the, the crux of this movie. Um, but I did want to mention another Netflix movie that's streaming right now, a documentary called American Symphony. That is about John Batiste, the uh, Grammy winning Grammy winning artist and the former band leader for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Um, it's a really good documentary that actually does what I was hoping that Maestro would do, where it, it tracks him as he tries to create this original symphony to be played on stage, I think at Carnegie Hall. And the movie is also about him and his relationship with his wife, Zuleika, who is an author and her cancer returns at the same time that Batiste is trying to get the symphony off the ground. And I thought that was like a really beautiful look at their dynamic as a couple and the relationship that they have in the creative process for both of them. And that ended up giving me more of what I was looking for uh, from Maestro. So that's called American Symphony and that's streaming right now. Um, Maestro is streaming on Netflix. Uh, I believe it's December 20th. So like sometime in the next few days. Um, do you have any other like observations or, or sort of, um, I guess, like closing thoughts about Maestro, BJ? I mean, I love that you brought up the Thanksgiving speech because that is one of my favorite moments of the year. When we have our end of the year, like best moments of 2023, I feel like that's going to be something we all bring up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I also saw Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron, which is in theaters right now. Did you see this? I love this movie. Miyazaki, <laughs> I love you so much. It's so ambitious bj that's the word that i keep coming back to i mean it's been 10 years since he's released a movie i think he's been working on this one for seven or eight years or something like that and um you know it it almost is it it kind of defies explanation because it's like so complicated what the actual plot uh, of this movie is it would take like five minutes just to lay out the basic you know uh a to b to c of, of like what kind of happens just to give people a sense but um if you are familiar with Miyazaki's work, then you're probably just going to see this already because like, why wouldn't you? Um, but it, this really feels like a culmination of everything that he has done so far. There are so many images and ideas in here that feel like they're in conversation with images and ideas that he's played with in previous mm-hmm. movies. Um, maybe, to, maybe to like a detrimental degree, like maybe this movie bites off a little bit more than it can chew um, because it's, it's about, grief and growing up and dreams and the brutalities of the world and like where we stand in it and sort of legacy and how we pass things on to the next generation and like this big swirl of, of concepts. And I'm not sure that it, it is able to sort of um, directly address like every single one of those in a satisfactory fashion, but the process of trying is really beautiful to witness and, uh, and the animation is gorgeous and like, you know, it's just it's great to see that he's still making movies and still putting stuff out there that really, you know, is is again going for it and like really trying to get at 
you know, these big ideas and like ask and, and prod at these questions. So um, I, I wouldn't say that this is like a home run or like in my personal top tier of Miyazaki movies, but uh, but I'm certainly glad that I enjoyed it. What, what would you say about like where it sort of ranks for you in his um, in his filmography? There are definitely films that I prefer to The Boy and the Heron, but in terms of what Miyazaki is attempting to do as a creative, this ends up like a lot higher on my list for that, especially once you know the history of, you know, his partners with Studio Ghibli and one of them passing and how that impacted his work. It adds a layer to this. Like this is one of those movies that once you know the behind the scenes information, it does kind of change how you view it. So I do highly suggest anybody like watch the movie and then look up what it's about and, you know, his relationship with the co-founders of Studio Ghibli and then recontextualize it and watch it again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Okay, so I also had a chance to see a movie called Robot Dreams. Have you seen this yet? So this is one I have not seen yet, but this one came up when we were planning out the top animation list, which I think is going up tomorrow on Slash Film. Awesome. Um, and Robot Dreams got brought up a lot, um, I, but a lot of us just hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, so, so I'm very so curious to hear your thoughts. Neon sent out this, um, they always do, every year they send out to the awards voters and stuff, they, they send out a... Um, uh, like a the big box <laughs> yeah a box set is, is the phrase I was looking for that has like a DVD of all of their movies that they're putting out and Robot Dreams was in there I was looking this up I have no idea when this will be available but Neon is apparently going to be releasing it at some point it's unclear to me if it's going to be in theaters or on streaming but I, I just wanted to put it on people's radar now because I had a chance to watch it for for like awards consideration and stuff and um and I know it's like kind of obnoxious to talk about movies that aren't out yet, but like we're cramming stuff for the end of the year and <laughs> this is what I've been watching. So I apologize. But um, yeah, this is an animated movie directed by a Spanish filmmaker named Pablo Berger. And it's based on a comic that I'd never read or heard of, heard of before, but it's about this lonely anthropomorphized dog who lives in New York city and he buys a robot to keep him company And the movie is about this great friendship that forms between them over time as they sort of live life in the big city. And I knew absolutely nothing about this movie going in, so I will not reveal where it goes, but things take a turn. And I found the whole thing to be very insightful and moving and a really funny movie. And there are a lot of other emotions that came up that I won't list here just because I don't want to spoil anything. But if you're into animation, really animation or just a a good story well told then keep an eye out for this one it's called robot dreams and again i'm sorry i don't have like the official release information i was desperately searching for it so i could provide context for this movie uh and there's just like nothing out there about when it I, i was looking on imdb which is not always the most reliable source and it just said it was released to the internet on November 22nd. And I'm like, what does that mean? I cannot find it streaming anywhere. So I, I don't know what the, what that is. And it's, that's another lesson to not trust IMDb all the time. But uh, okay, so that's called Robot Dreams. And the last thing that I wanted to talk about is I saw Ava DuVernay's new movie, which is called Origin, which actually has been out in theaters, I think for like a limited run. And then it's going to be coming out uh, in like wider release in January. Um, so some people probably have had a chance to see this if you live in certain cities or whatever. Um, have you seen this one yet, BJ? I'm seeing it this weekend because it's oh. having, you know, the, the theaters in 
select cities because I live in Los Angeles. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So I will try not to spoil anything about it. Um, I have such complicated feelings about this movie. So you and I actually talked about this, or I, I talked at you <laughs> about it uh, not too long ago when I read Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents. And this movie is an adaptation of that book. Um, that book is about the author arguing that the U.S. has a caste system in place, and she compares the treatment of people of color to the millennia-old caste systems of India and the system that was in, Ger- in Nazi Germany. And this movie follows uh, Anjanu Ellis Taylor as Isabel Wilkerson, the author, and it kind of serves as this biography of things that actually happened in Wilkerson's life including her having the idea to write this book and researching and developing the points that she wants to make about it. And it also serves as like a visual representation of those points that she wants to make. So like she talks about how when the Nazis looked at how America treated its black citizens when the Nazis were establishing the the way that they were going to lay the groundwork for eventually exterminating Jewish people, Ava DuVernay actually takes us inside that room of Nazi characters sitting around a table and talking about that in this movie. So, um, at times, this this film, Origin, kind of feels more like a video essay than a traditional feature film, almost like a like a TED talk or something where somebody is giving like a lecture and laying out their case. And a few of those visual representations of the stories from the book are very powerfully rendered. So, you know, on I, I can't deny that the movie is like effective at getting its messaging across. Um, and I also thought that the biographical drama that you know, about Wilkerson's life that sort of um, strings the movie from one one TED Talk point to the next is is pretty effective. Like Anjanou Ellis Taylor gives a, a really strong performance and like John Bernthal and Nisi Nash Betts are great in supporting roles. A- and yet, BJ, I, I could not help but get the feeling that a book was actually the most effective way to tell this story. Like I, I get that more people will probably see this as a movie than will ever read the book. And I hope that's true because the arguments that she's making here seem important to the way that we understand ourselves and our society and all this stuff. But like, I, I just don't think the end result works nearly as well as reading the book. Like I, I talked about it on the podcast, my biggest takeaway from the entire book was that the Nazis actually saw how America was treating black people and essentially said, America is going too far. So let's dial our version back a little bit. That was the most jaw-dropping revelation I had when reading the book. And this movie never makes that point a single time. So I was kind of baffled by you know, some of the decision-making here. So I, I find myself very torn about the whole thing. But um, ultimately, I think it's a step in the right direction for Ava DuVernay, who I like a lot as a public figure and a storyteller. And her recent film output has been, I think, pretty hit or miss for people. Um, but this feels kind of like she's getting back into her groove a little bit. So um, I, I appreciated it, but I have very complicated feelings about this movie. I, I would love to know what you think about it. And maybe we can talk about it like next week or something. Um, yeah, definitely. After you see. So, cause Especially you've not read the book, right? Yeah. I've not read the book yet. It's on my reading list. Cause I wanted to read it after you talked about it so positively. Um, but I'm curious to see how I feel about it without having, you know, that, that, additional knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. A really fascinating, uh, project. It, it kind of just seems like it's an unadaptable book. And I, you know, on, on a certain level, I like appreciate the, uh, the guts to like go for it and like try to make this 
try to wrangle this big nonfiction thing into a, a movie that's like digestible for people. So uh, yeah, that's called Origin. It comes out very, very soon if it's not out already. Uh, okay, let's get into what we've been eating. BJ, what have you been eating? Okay, so because I am, you know, our designated adult teen here at Slash Film, um, I spend a lot of time on TikTok, and I discovered an account called Dollar Tree Dinners, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It is somebody who goes to Dollar Tree and gets, you know, very cheap and affordable products and goes, here's how you can make a full meal out of this. And because it's the holiday season, um, this person has been making uh, Christmas snacks. Um, so like a lot of sweets, a lot of, you know, cookies and and little treats that you can bring to all of those like weird cookie exchanges that people who work in like corporate offices have to do <laughs> or just for your family and does so in a way that is very affordable and also very easy to do. So I've been trying out a lot of those. And what's great is that not all of them work. Um, there is a very popular Christmas treat. Um, I call it Christmas bark. Some people call it Christmas crack. I think that's disrespectful. Don't call it that. But it's basically um, like melted, uh, like caramelized, uh, like caramel bottom, uh, saltine crackers, and then um, like chocolate on top. That's usually what it's made out of. Hmm. And she tried making it using like Dollar Tree products and I was like, this doesn't work. Don't don't make this with Dollar Tree. You have to get like the more expensive stuff. But then she's like, here's stuff that does work, like these really wonderful, um, really fluffy cookies that you make by mixing a tub of Cool Whip and a box cake mix and rolling it in powdered sugar after it you know turns into a dough. And when you bake it, they make these really big fluffy cookies that have you know the powdered sugar on them so they look like snow and you can add like food coloring to make them more festive colors but it's two ingredients and it's super cheap and they're delicious hmm. and I was like I love this and I love that you know there's a lot of bad things to say about TikTok it's probably stealing all my data like the government probably knows where I am at any given moment because <laughs> I use this app so much but I can make really affordable and cute Christmas cookies now so who's the real winner <laughs> yeah what a trade-off <laughs> Um, that's awesome. Okay. So maybe we'll, if you can find it, BJ, I'll try to like link to that account in oh, the totally. show notes so, <laughs> so people can, uh, can benefit from these uh, recipes themselves. Um, okay. Last thing, last section here is what we've been playing and, uh, you're going to give me a Neopet update here. All right. I'm giving you the update on Neopets. If you listen to Slash Home Daily, you know, I'm an adult who still plays Neopets. And if you had a Neopet and you're like, oh, wow, I remember playing that. You can still play it. They got new owners. A lot of the games have come back. The, the website is, is, rising from the ashes like a phoenix it's incredible um it's advent calendar season obviously so we're getting all this really wonderful free stuff you'll be shocked at how wonderful it is uh there was also a bit of a <laughs> chaos recently because the new owners have been changing the economy of neopets and it's becoming more socialism and so all of the wealth hoarders that have been doing this for like the last 10 years when no one was playing are all freaking out because <laughs> all of the stuff they had that was worth you know millions of neo points is you know not worth that anymore more, which is hilarious. Um, but somebody, uh, again, on TikTok made a video about this, like, ec like economy drama, uh, and was like, I just want everyone to know this is what's happening in, in Neopets land. And it's really funny. And, uh, she opened the video by saying, this probably won't relate to you because it's really niche drama. And so I stitched the video and I was like, it may not relate to other people. It does relate to me. It's incredible. And I like talked about how I'm playing Neopets and I put my handle up there. 
the Neopets official team saw this video. I did not tag them. I did not like add any hashtags or anything. They saw they, your video? They found my video. <laughs> so the official Neopets team was like <laughs> like commenting on my my TikTok about Neopets and I was like, "Oh no, they found me." <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know why that made it weird, but now all of a sudden I'm like, "Oh no, this like team of people knows that I'm in my mid 30s playing this game for children but you know what it's fine because it's really fun and i enjoy it it's like it's my safe place to go to when the world is terrible it's like you know what i'm just gonna like feed my grundo i have a marshmallow grundo now he looks like an alien with a marshmallow body i'm obsessed with him you know what i'm just gonna hang out with him and we're gonna play some games and i'm gonna not look at the horrors of the world for a little bit and then when i feel good then i'll go back to doom scrolling and learning how what new fresh hells await (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) well that sounds like yes a delightful diversion so uh (laughs) i'm so glad that the official neopets people know that you exist now yeah there's just the ultimate like senpai has noticed me uh sort of feeling of oh man like this is my (laughs) life now Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's show. You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we talked about at SlashFilm.com. I will link to a few things in the show notes as well. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you could find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link for that in the show notes. Also, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at SlashFilm.com. That's P-E-A-R-S-O-N. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.